I am so glad that I asked licensed medical health therapist for executives and professionals, Miss Nicola Leach, to the show. I received tons of practical insights about the art of how to feel better in our lives by communicating differently to ourselves, which is my field, communication on social media. I was, uh, she, I was so excited to talk with this lady. She talked about how therapy can unpack a person to feel better and to get out of feeling like they're stuck or sometimes even un, when they're unhappy, how to get out of that, that situation and how to communicate better to yourself. And it, this will help you in getting that new job or meeting that significant other. And, and it, sometimes it, it can improve your relationships with your children or your spouse. So listen and grab practical insights and then move your energy differently. Good afternoon, moving your energy differently with communication. This is Kerry Ruff. Today I am thrilled to have someone here that is going to help us unpack uh, this whole idea of uh, therapy. Uh, and communication within therapy and how that could add value to your life as far as your communication, communication to uh, your spouse, your family member, or how you communicate in your businesses and your workplace. So I'm going to let her introduce herself. Uh, go, go right ahead. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, I'm Nicola, and I am a licensed mental health therapist in New and York City. And your last name? Leach. Nicola Leach. <laughs> Thank you. Um, my my first question is, what is, now, it's a therapist, but you're a mental health mm -hmm. therapist. I am. What is a mental health therapist mm -hmm. as, far, as far as, now you have your own... Uh, private practice. Private practice. I do. I do. Uh, tell us about that private practice, mm -hmm. and then I want to go back and get a little history because sure. you have a fascinating history of where you grew up and where your accent comes from. Oh, <laughs> Brooklyn. <laughs> Brooklyn. I like that. I like that. But tell us what mental health therapy mm -hmm. is. Mm -hmm. As far as um, an everyday thing, why, why do we need to, and why do people come to you? Mm -hmm. Well, I've been practicing as a mental health therapist now for about 12 years. I have a specialty, which is I work with a lot of women, um, and I work with a few men, and I work with couples, and primarily... I think that everybody wants to learn how to communicate better, if it's to get that new job, if it's to meet a significant other, if it's to improve their relationship with their children, with their spouse. And it takes a lot of courage for somebody to 
want to come and expose themselves to a complete stranger and you know I meet with a, a potential client who is very vulnerable and I think that what allows us to work on the presenting issues that's bringing somebody to therapy is is for us to just talk about what kind of environment that's going to be and it's going to be a trusting environment I'm going to tell them about how the therapeutic process is um, there's no judgment there is you know it's a journey that we'll take together and um, you know the bottom line is people come to therapy because they want to feel better mm. they can sometimes articulate what it is that is making them unhappy they can identify it or somebody will just come in and just say I feel stuck I have everything that I've ever wanted but I'm unhappy and then through just kind of talking about their current life and their 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 you know what's what's being fulfilled what isn't being fulfilled we're able to kind of unpack some of the blocks that are getting in the way of them being some you know successful what's what have you found that stops most people from being successful being successful being happy feeling better what are some of the blocks self-perception self-perception self this their perception of themselves sometimes people will have a core belief system that they're unworthy or they are undeserving some people may have a perception that they are the best things in the world, right? However, every single situation, we are all contributing to it. So if I'm in a dysfunctional marriage, I need to look at what my part is in it, right? Um, what am I doing to contribute to the situation? Am I antagonistic? Am I starting? Am I, do I know how to push the buttons? Where does that come from? Did I learn growing up as a child that that's how we communicate? Maybe, right? So there's a, there's a lot of different things. It's not about just changing your mindset in order to be happy. It's we have a lot of defenses. We have a lot of things that are buried, a lot of things, you know, biases, unconscious bias, right? I mean, we live in an age where therapy is cool. Back in the day, and especially where I'm from, which is the UK, you don't talk about your feelings. You don't cry. You suck it up. You be a man. You move on with things. Or you be a woman. Right, you be that, a that woman, just... right? So what happens to all of these, these, these thoughts, right? What happens to all of these feelings? They go unexpressed, right? So. And when they go unexpressed, unhappiness... How does it show itself? Uh, maybe not being as, as successful as you would mm -hmm. like to be, whatever that mm -hmm. means, success. All that. But what do you do to start the process when you have a client that says, I'm looking to be happier, mm -hmm. more successful, yeah. more open. Right. What, how do you start? Well, I just will always, I mean, and I think there's a big misconception about therapy in general, right? Because, and that's whenever I work with a client, I'll say, so what do you think therapy is? And nine times out of 10, people will say, well, you're the therapist, you have all the answers. And that's not the case. I'm just a guide in this journey. And I will say, what makes me an expert in this, right? What makes me, what makes my life perfect, right? It's, you don't know that. I'm not an, I'm not an expert in life. However, the process is 
you set the agenda with what it is that you want to talk about we will identify certain patterns right it doesn't matter how far that they've come you know from we'll look at some core belief systems that you might have about yourself or certain situations what's a belief system that i might have about myself um it could be uh, uh, having to do with i want to be happy i want uh, a promotion i want to start a new business i'm an entrepreneur uh, I'm, what I'm would stupid. Be... There's other. I'm, I'm not as smart as other people. I'm gonna uh, fail. People. I'm. I'm. You know. Nobody likes me. I. I've never been good at this. So th- those are all self-defeating behaviors, right? Thoughts, right? So, but then you don't have a chance. The brain. The brain does not know the difference between a real or an imagined thought, right? So if you have, wait, say that again. The brain does know does not know the difference between a real or an imagined thought. So if you are starting your own business and you start to just say to yourself, I can't do it, people are smarter than me, I'm gonna fail, that is going to send messages throughout your body, right? The body, the brain is gonna react that it's true, that it's true for you. So you might have a physical symptom, right? Your heart might start racing. You might start sweating. Then you're gonna have an emotional reaction, which is you're gonna start to feel anxious. You're gonna start to feel depressed. And then you're gonna have a behavioral reaction. You're not gonna skip through, you know, the halls at work feeling happy. It's going to reflect that belief system that you have. Should you, uh, would you get them to the place of skipping through the halls first, skipping, even though they don't feel like it, no. but skipping and th- no? No, <laughs> I, would, I would say, so when they would talk about this self-defeating, it's like a prophecy, right? I mean, they, they don't stand a chance. If they're already going in doomed to fail, what's the point? They're hardly going to attract that into their lives. It's already a failure. So what we do is we identify, we say, well, let me hear, I will say, well, let me hear about, talk about these thoughts a little bit. So we unpack it a little bit. We will pick it apart to see, can we reality test this? Is this based in fear or is this actually based in reality? Is there any evidence that we have to support that he is going or she is going to fail, right? So if he says, I'm gonna fail, well, tell me how, right? And we pick it apart and then we look, is there any evidence to support that you are gonna fail? Well, no, not, not really. Okay, because you haven't even started. Once, once they get to, once they get to the place of, oh, okay, you're right, I'm not going to fail, how long does it take to then come from the feeling of, yeah, I've got this? Well, it's a practice. It's not as if it's a light switch, right? I mean, it's, 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 it's a practice, right? I mean, if, because if this person feels this way just about starting off a business, we can tell that there's a pattern of other self-defeating behaviors. Maybe they're single or maybe they're in a marriage and then they say, what's the point? I'm doomed. It's not going to work out. And this is what I meant with we all contribute to our situation. So in the workplace, for example, if we have somebody that comes in and says, nobody likes me, that is going to have a huge ripple effect on the culture of the, of the office, right? Yes. And this is all based on someone's perception. 
maybe they walked in and their colleague was having a bad day, but they internalized that as they don't like me. See, I was right. They made a face. There's the evidence to support it. When I walked in, she didn't say hello. I knew it. This person doesn't like me. And it's all based on perception. This girl was just having a bad day. What, what about now with social media when people say, I'm not going to involve myself that much with social media because then the haters, the play haters, whatever, mm-hmm. trolls, whatever you want to call them, mm-hmm. people who say, you're ugly on social media. You uh, are this and that. Anything. And then they stop doing social media. And then they come to you and say, how do I get past this mm-hmm. feeling of insecurity about myself? Because there are so many people telling me that, there are also people telling me that I'm wonderful and that I'm great, but there are also a few. Sure. That are, what do you say to them? Social media, oh, it's dangerous. In fact, taking a, just taking a sidestep, I had somebody that broke up with his girlfriend of three years because she did not have enough Instagram likes and enough Instagram followers. So he placed her value on how she was validated by social media, by her followers. And the lack of, the lack of followers really just presented evidence to him, his perception, that she was not as valuable as somebody that had 2,000 likes or 2,000 friends. She could have taken that and said, this one person's perception is correct, I'll stop, or I'll quit, or I won't date you anymore. But what happened? He broke up with her. And here's the kicker. She was a one-time Victoria's Secret model, so she was beautiful. But his perception, right, and it's, it's all a projection because if he is with somebody that has 2,000, a, a person that has 2,000 likes as opposed to somebody that has five, 500 likes, he then becomes more valuable because look at me. I've landed somebody that is recognized socially, and that makes me pretty incredible. So people put value on other people's opinion. And this is what happened with this guy and this girl. Because she was, you if know. She, if, she, if she came to your practice. And she said. And she, and she said, yeah, what, what do I do? I, so she's coming <laughs> and she's saying, I can't believe that I broke up. If she's saying, you know, maybe people, people if, if she has low self-worth, right? And people are saying that you're really, really ugly. Right, I mean, then we're going to help her understand what they do, you know, what people do on social media. Everyone can be nasty. People yeah. can say nice things. I mean, it is a absolute vulnerable place to be. People will look at, I mean, people will look at social media, their, their posts, and they feel validated by the likes. Or they will interpret a angry face and it's subjective. Well, what do they mean by that? Are they mad at me? It's all communication, mm-hmm. right? It Everything is. is subjective. Look at the text messages we send with the exclamation points, the emojis, right? I mean, it's it's all completely subjective, right? right? I mean, now... Should you take the... the 
post and if they're fabulous, should you, would you be coming in saying, I feel better, this is fabulous, I'm successful? I mean, taking it, that side to it, or do you in the middle? If someone because is, I, if someone is coming in and they're saying, my boyfriend broke up with me because I didn't have enough likes. If they're coming in with, with something like that, trust me, it's never the presenting issue. There are other things that are going on yes. that has allowed her to have such a, you know, a, a huge reaction, right? Maybe she has issues with rejection. Maybe she has some self-image stuff. Maybe she places her value on. Oh, yes. Uh, right? Okay. So the one thing about being a therapist is... 99% of the time, it is never the presenting issue that, that the, the client brings. That's what needs to be worked on. Never. There's always stuff that is laid upon layers and layers. Anyone that comes to see me that has anger issues, anger is unresolved pain, right? Yeah. I mean, you talked about in the beginning what happens to somebody if they don't talk about their feelings growing up what happens it just becomes suppressed and when we suppress unresolved feelings it's like layers and layers of garbage placed on top of each other and how does that show itself behaviorally anger passive aggressive yes. sarcasm right hit and run little like jabs right so that's how it shows itself i mean anger is unresolved pain so yeah i'm talking a lot that's good. I'm glad. I'm glad. It's 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 helping my community. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking for that. We know we need to talk and talk these things out. Sure. These blockages, in order to feel good. Move forward. Move forward. So we need to talk about. It these things mm -hmm. it's healthy and it's healthy but a lot we, of people we call don't it, we, you, you, you called yourself a mental health therapist. therapist why mental health because you know we mental mental brain mental emotional, emotional well-being well everything well -being. is connected our behavior affects the choices that we make in life our perceptions about a situation, real, whether real or imagined, creates our experiences, right? I think that the one gauge that we all have, if we are intuitive, is how am I doing? Am I happy? Am I content? Yes. If we experience pain, right? What, you know, we, we, we want to be able to identify what it is. A lot of people, if they grow up in, in sad households, pain is that's okay. They can tolerate pain. They've been there before, right? I mean, it's if, if they're in a dysfunctional relationship um, and they grew up in a dysfunctional family, that's their normal, right? I mean, there's that's home to them. So, are we all looking for to be loved and peace and and happiness? I mean, I can talk from my from my own experience, right? I mean, I don't ascribe to be happy. For me, that is a I think an unrealistic bar, but my bar is to be I'm okay. Right? I mean, I'm okay, but I don't want to get too cocky and say, "Oh my god, I'm amazing. Um, I'm okay." I'm I have okay. I I I'm okay. I everything is balanced. 
right? There's I'm 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 in a a pretty okay marriage. However, we communicate, and he's not afraid to be able to communicate with me when I'm getting on his nerves. Mm-hmm. Um, I also have a, a tremendous amount of um, triggers that have come up from my own childhood um, that I've identified but don't react to. So I can be triggered by certain situations or does uh, he does he know those triggers and he wouldn't do that because we're in a partnership right but But does he know the triggers and then won't do them yeah in the relationship yeah yeah yeah, absolutely and that's where you say i'm i'm okay i'm 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 okay relationship is okay and marriage is hard right and And one of the things that we do um is you know, I mean, we're not a lovey, lovey, dovey couple, but we are brave enough to be able to say once a month, what's two things that, what are two things that I can do more of? And what are two things I can do less of? That's great. Right? Every, and uh, once every month? Once every month or two months, he'll just, you know, we'll, we'll you just... You ask him we, the, the, both that things, question. Both things, we'll just sit down and just say, let's just do our check-in. And even when we are talking about, even if he's pissed me off or vice versa, even the way we have um, scheduled our, to talk about it is not on my terms, it's not on his terms. We talk no more than, you know, we set the timer for 10 minutes because we wanted to have a beginning, a middle and an end. Yes. Because in the beginning of our marriage, our fights would last for three days and then there'd be resentment and it would be a war of words. But we learned through our own couples counseling that what works for us is just because I want to talk about it, it doesn't mean that he's ready to talk about it. And so we just say, let's just have some space and talk about this Friday when the kids go to bed. And we set a timer. And we just try to be nice to each other. And it's really, really hard. But um, And be respectful. And the one thing that we do in our marriage is, you know, we just do that check-in. Like, what's two things? And sometimes I don't want to say it because I don't want to do anything. Or I don't, And I don't want him to point out my shortcomings. But he does, and I have to, you know, if I come in in a pissy mood on a Friday, he will say in our check-in, you know, I I wish that you would come in on a Friday night, although exhausted, with a happy face, because your energy sets the tone for the weekend. And that is a big pill to swallow. However, that's his experience. And if I'm having an impact on someone's experience, then I need to be accountable and look at how am I contributing to the dynamics? How am I contributing to his experience? What can I do differently so that I don't create this kind of contentious environment for the weekend? And then you you practice this. You set this I up. I set it up. You plan this yeah. and then practice it. But I have to do something my end. So I already know what the what I'm doing to contribute to it I've identified the problem which is half of the solution so now I need to work on what is it that I need to do um, because it's been identified so what can I do so I don't do that because I don't want to be resentful and walk in with a big happy face when I'm not feeling happy and the funniest practice that I do and people in my building make fun of me um, sometimes is um, I'm very good at, at separating between work and personal and my private life. So my home is with my kids and my family. So before I go into my apartment, I literally will pace in my lobby and, and I've had people laugh 
and I will just kind of, it's almost like I'm going in, like I'm Rocky Balboa before I'm going in for a fight. <laughs> I literally need that seven minutes to just say, to, to separate between work mode, leave it there, put my intention to say, okay, Nicola, you've had a good week. Now you're going to spend time with your family. Let's just kind of, you know, shake off the day. Everything's good. You did a good job. So some, some self-affirmations. Yes. Um, sometimes people go in and then say, I have a drink. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I want one sometimes, right? But, but I need to be able to have, if I cannot give myself seven minutes, a seven-minute break before I go into my next role and responsibility of parent, homemaker, wife, then I'm, everything bleeds into everything. So I need to have that separation to be able to say, okay, now you're going into mommy-wife mode. And there's sometimes when you, I would imagine, like us all, that you, you forget the seven minutes and you just rush in yeah. to the family. And you go, oh, geez, I'm still into that behavior and mindset yeah. of, of work. And then my family will react right away. Oh. Because that is the one thing that if I'm then aware that my energy will automatically have an effect on my kids because I don't they want me to walk in saying mom mom and if my nonverbals are closed or if my nonverbals I mean nonverbal you know yeah I mean yeah. the kids are very perception they may not perceptive they may not be able to articulate the, the same language but they can sense right and if I come in and I feel and they I appear heavy or I feel exhausted and I appear sad or irritated it's going to have an effect. They may not run to me. They may not run to me and say, Mommy, they may look and think, Whoa, let me stay away because she seems really yeah. mad. And now, sometimes when kids grow up, they'll say, My mother, father gave me this, these feelings, this, this <laughs> blockage, but they, they, they it was their fault. Nah, is it their fault? Is it their fault? As you're growing up, it's their fault? They were just attempting to live their life the way they, the best they could. With the tools that they had. With the tools they had. With the tools that they had. So, so when I come in and say, well, it was my father's fault. It was my mother's fault. It was my uncle's fault. My my brother's fault. My sister. Yeah. But no, it, but we it's have to, how I but took we, it on. But, it, but it's real for them. It's, re it's real for them. And if they believe that they're messed up because of their parents, that's their experience. I'm not going to say no, no, because that ends a relationship mm. right there. Right? So you work on, like you said, breaking it down. Yeah, like empathizing with them and like getting, having, getting more information. How did they arrive at that? Like how did he arrive at that the, it was his parents' fault? And what do they do? And really believe in this person whether or not it was real or not that's how he's interpreted it right and then i can break it down and then go in and develop something else absolutely right we can identify I can get it. rid of that block yeah. and go some go and someplace and else and here's the Just, thing here's yes. the thing a lot of people carry around this trauma right this this pain of their childhood and it's literally like carrying 
a backpack, right, of just all of this pain. And you carry, you, you know, you put it on with your coat and you leave and it's a heaviness and it's something that you carry around with. And sometimes because you speak to your family about it and you say you're responsible for doing this, and you never get that validation. They'll never say, which is what everyone wants, I'm really sorry, I yes. messed up, because a lot yes. of people don't do that. Sometimes they just want someone to validate them, to be able to say, I'm sorry, I'm really sorry that yes. you went through that. That can be life-changing, to have somebody walk through mm. their pain with you, to be able to just say, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that this happened, and what was that like, and how has it affected your life? it really will just allow someone to shed that backpack and to be able to feel lighter because for the first time they've had someone really acknowledge that this actually happened or if you have done something to someone Absolutely. to say i'm sorry Absolutely. about this and it's and i can tie this all back to and this wow. is where it goes to the beginning to to what i said initially um with just forming that relationship and, and being attuned to somebody's experience because even when I had gone through a really horrible, horrible childhood and for many, 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 many years up until my mid-20s, um, you, you know, my behaviors were very self-destructive and the reason why they were so self-destructive was because I was carrying around a lot of pain. Um, I did feel insignificant, invalidated. I did blame my parents for, for providing a, a, a really volatile household. And I remember I never had the courage to speak to my parents, but after some therapy, I decided to just say, you know, to my parents, you know, I never felt loved by you. I never felt, you know, you used to hit me all the time. And my parents, they both said, and I remember them saying to me, you have a very active imagination that never happened and I remember at that point just saying the, that and it is the last thing that I ever spoke to him about regarding this is I know that it happened because I can still feel the feelings yes how did you how did you I let it go how did you let it go I let it go because I just at that moment I knew that I, I knew that this is as this is all they have to give right mm. this is this is as far as they've gone in life right this i have to accept this is all they are and not expect that them that moment where they're both hugging me crying swigging me around in the air i had to accept that the way that they show up for me and not have any kind of expectations for anything more and if i was okay with meeting them where they're at then there'd be no more hope for anything more. Then anything extra would be a bonus. So I immediately was able to just accept that it happened. Accept it. Accept that they were victims of victims because all behavior Victim. is learned. Oh, okay. Right? They came from volatile abusive households, so right. their blueprint was there. They did the best with the tools that they had. They had a lot of different stresses. Right, so there was lots of different and things. And when you get to that part, then you that just, means that's letting it go. It was surrendering to my my circumstance, and making a decision to continue to carry the backpack and hold on to it, or to or, be able to just say, "I'm okay," and this is where this is where we are together, and anything extra yes. that I get from you is will be will be good, but. The most important thing was that I had changed. 
I had changed. I had become stronger. I did not need them anymore to say sorry. Mm. I didn't need them anymore to be able to just say I was proud of you because I was proud of myself. So, and this goes back to just identifying core belief systems and identifying, you know, self perceptions and making the decision to look at, you know, what am I doing to contribute to this hostile relationship or to this destructive behavior? I'm angry. Why am I angry? Because it's my parents' fault. Well, is it their parents' fault? Yes, right? And going a little bit deeper with a therapist to help me unpack, identify, surrender, forgive, move on, and really truly identify, which is what is it that I want in my life? Am I making steps that are bringing me closer to what it is that I want? or bringing me further away. And that is what I say with people in general, if they want to find happiness in relationships. Are you making choices that are bringing you closer, right? If someone's dating an alcoholic and they wanna have, a, and she wants to have a baby and get married, your goal is to have a happy marriage and have children. Is spending time with this person, investing in this relationship, bringing you closer to what it is that you want or further away. And when I, when I identify it like that, it's like a light bulb moment that is just crazy because people will say, no, I'm not, I don't want to have kids with him. And I'll say, okay, then end it because you're driving around in a car without a map. You're making no choices to bring you closer. Right. So that's I, I, I'm doing all the talking yeah, here. That, that's that's the purpose of <laughs> right? this podcast. You know, that, that's the it's, purpose. It's here's the other thing because because I I, I I know I only have a certain amount of time okay. with you. Uh huh. Uh, one is I have to your history. Mm. Can you tell us a little bit about your history when you arrived here from Wales? Yeah. You arrived here. You were a nanny. I was. Now you have two master's degrees and a practice. I do. How is that possible? Mm. How did you do that? Well, cause, I mean, you know, I'm kind of glad that we're piggybacking off of my childhood trauma, right? And my own therapeutic journey. Um, because if I would have continued on that path of anger and self-destruction... I think I wouldn't have gotten anywhere, right? And I think just having an opportunity to be able to leave uh, the UK and leaving my family, getting away from my family, um, and just coming to America as as a as a nanny and housekeeper, I just took it, and it was literally a means to escape. Um, it was one day at a time. I had no, you know, college growing up was never discussed, right? You you suck it up you get a job not a career you get married you have a bunch of kids and you got a bingo on a friday night right i mean that's that's what it's the, the life cycle for somebody in 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 the uk when i was younger so just you know just um doing a lot of nannying and housekeeping and um and my just because i got away from abuse it was pretty amazing how my perception of other people's perceptions of me, there in turn was internalized. And what I mean by that is because I was the hired help, 
and I would see people treat me or even look at me in a way that made me feel like garbage, I internalized their perceptions and, and, and just carried that around. So for a long time, I was garbage, right? I was someone that was the lowest of the low. Taking care of other the nanny, taking care but just, of, but, but of, we talk of about their not, children. But we talk about nonverbal communication, right? We talk about verbal communication. Someone, uh, something as as simple as someone clicking their fingers at you to bring them a tray, right? I mean, even 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 that is a nonverbal communication. Um, and one, somebody wouldn't do that to someone who's a CEO, right? Somebody would do that to someone that they don't respect. That's an awful right? lot of negative. That's that an awful lot. That happened for many, many years. So how that did you... From, that happened for many, many years. How did you stop that? That's play haters and yeah, so yeah, yeah. How did you... What, what was the first step? Because I was... I knew that I was going back into an old pattern of self-destructive behaviors because I wanted to self-medicate. I was angry. I hated people. I hated people. I really, and this is before I became a therapist or even went to college, I really hated that I was the lowest person on Fifth Avenue, right? I was nothing. I was insignificant. And people around me validated that right by me what did you do I just what was the first step I I got I got the first step was mental the first step was um, I need to do something else I need to do something else. and I didn't know what it was but I just knew I needed to get my GED and I just needed to get my GED and I didn't even know what I was gonna do with that GED but I needed to do something I needed to break out of like you know I mean literally break out of something and I'm just like, I'll get my GED. And then I heard someone talking about college and I'm like, literally, I literally said, what is college at 23? I had had an idea, but I never explored what college was. I mean, when people said college, it was just like saying water. How'd you get the GED? I studied and I got my GED and it was really, really hard. I never graduated high school, by the way. Let me so, digress. So, so no, but you, yeah, I'm trying to get your GED. What did you do? Uh, went went somewhere? No, I like I I had to pay for it. I was living as a nanny. I was waitressing on the weekends. I mean, at these dinner parties, I studied when I had time. Um, I didn't have any friends for many years because I was always working. Um, so you went and money. took the test. Took the test. It was so hard, and I passed it. And then I'm just like, oh, what's this college thing, John Jay? All right, whatever. In so, here in New York yeah, City. Yeah, I didn't even know. I, I mean, as far as I was concerned, maybe I was going to learn how to type. I didn't, I was unable to, that part of my consciousness was never cultivated. Education, n- never even an afterthought, right? Because my parents are working class. My dad's a steel worker. My mom was a homemaker. We, were, we didn't surround ourselves with professional people. We were, you know. So why college? Why this? I, I didn't know what it was until I went there. And I'm just like, okay, I gotta take an English class. And I was in all remedial classes because I just had a really hard time. And then I started just, oh, this college thing. Still didn't have a plan what I was gonna do. It was, there was no dream. I'd never, ever, ever had any dreams. I never, and this is actually my first light bulb moment, um, is 
I never learned to dream as a kid because we were such we, we were so insulated in in just this is this is how it this is how it is so to dream or to wonder or to fantasize was never a reality for me um and I think I'm very practical even to this day I, I'm still not much of a dreamer I'm a doer so uh, yeah so that's an insightful a doer. You, you, I'm a doer you take I, 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 so I, take, I get things you, done you went you got in college. I got in college. I I ended. You have to take you have to take a test. To not back get then. Oh, not okay. back then. So I so, I got in. I started taking classes. Um, I started getting some professors that asked me if I wanted to co-teach with them. Um, assistant teacher. I started doing that. I met my very first mentor in the counseling department, and she just said I had a knack for people. Um, so I I I did that. I got a scholarship for graduate school. And then I did like a dual masters, and um, again, very active with the faculty and then, things. Then and then after that, when did you start your practice? I started my practice in two thousand and eight. And why? With one person. Why? Because I wanted to see if I could do it. Still not a dream, an opportunity. All of my experiences have been through opportunity. And that's why... Not what, to, it just popped up? I think, you know, I don't mean to sound like all the secret and stuff, right? But I think like attracts like. And I think that, you know, what you think about, you bring about, right? Yes. So me just even thinking about wanting something more, even if I couldn't identify it, an opportunity arose. It's just, mm -hmm. and, and that's mm -hmm. happened in my life, mm -hmm. right? By me just kind of changing my energy and not focusing on victim, because I'm never a victim. I will never allow myself to have that self-concept of feeling victim because I'm, I'm not, I'm not even a survivor. I'm just like someone who's an okay girl that's, you know, had a good opportunities and taken advantage of them, Yes. right? So because on paper I didn't stand a chance because every single girl that I went to high school with, about 18 girls. All in Wales. All in Wales. Right. 18 of them, yes. all divorced. Ah, mm-hmm. 75%. Mm -hmm. And probably still in Wales. Still in Wales. Yeah, or, or the and UK. I, yep, and yeah. you know something? The irony is when I was in high school before I left, not that I was voted anything, but I was least likely to amount to anything in ah, life. Isn't that least likely, <laughs> most unattractive. <laughs> um, yeah, um, because that's what they, they were said. way off. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's what they, they they said. You know, you're gonna probably work at a burger joint, you know, and um, yeah, and, and it was. Now you have your own practice. My own practice. Be, be, and 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 I've got to get this in. Uh, teams and people working together and getting cultures, together different cultures, a lot, yep. of, a lot of people in my community mm -hmm. or supervisors managers uh, have small businesses yeah and they're always talking to me about strengthening their strengthening community their community their, Ooh, their teams do, it is do, it is do hard your clients some clients come in and say sure. i have a small business sure uh or I'm, I'm an entrepreneur or or i'm a supervisor and uh, or and manager something's not, something's not working it's a, what listen and i've i've supervised teams in my in in my um in my time and 
I think supervising people or even working with people in general, whether you're supervising them or not, it is really hard because me personally supervising eight people, you have all different backgrounds. We have all different, we, we have all different perceptions, cultures, perceptions <laughs> right? Um, I mean, you know, I mean, you have, they're all, they're all different. They, they're all from different backgrounds. They all have histories and you bring them all together. It's not a one size fits all. People have unconscious biases, right? I mean, we, we all, we can all be a little judgmental. We all have egos and that's the biggest thing, right? Because egos in the workplace, ooh, yeah, right? People can be, you know, you work alongside someone and there's not a common interest or there's no rapport. Um, you can internalize and take it personally. Some, somebody could tell someone to do something and they could just say, who do you think you are, right? It's so it's true. Like, now, I, I just read an article, um, Harvard Business Review, oh. about, about supervisors and managers and owners should get to know personally each and every one of their staff to... Uh, you know, they walk in, have, your door should be open, and to get to know them. Well, what's going on with you today? How do you feel today? Yeah. I kind of like some and, of those and, points. And some people in my community are saying, yeah, and it's great, but it's I don't a, have time for a, that. But it's also, a, it's a double-edged sword, right? I mean, because, you know, if you're too overly friendly, then people can take advantage of you. However, if you are invested in into the, the lives of your the people that work for you, then they're more likely to do more for you, right? I mean, they, they feel the rapport, they feel the connection, they feel that there's, I mean, it's almost like a loyalty. In my, you know, I'm actually ironic, I had a girl last night who just got a promotion and um, now she's gonna be supervising some old timers at work. And these ladies are rigid. They're very, very rigid. <laughs> and she have been, she and this girl is this girl is twenty six, and she's a fireball. She's a sweetheart. And these women are early fifties, and they've been in this job for twenty five years. And she has the task now of changing the culture of the whole department, which is unfair. And we spoke last night, and I'm not breaking confidentiality because I'm not naming any names. No. But she is terrified. And I just said, you know, listen, it's going to be met with resistance, right? Because here you are, someone already is, is set in their ways, and it's, it's an impossible task, right? I mean, it's, it's a really difficult task that she's being put into, put, put in. So my advice for her, or my guidance was, you know, we have to separate emotional. We need to sep separate the emotion, right, from, from what's going on because she's starting to say, I can't do it, they hate me, whatever. And I said, you, if you're leading with emotion, it's, it's, it's not gonna be effective, right? You need to think about what is the plan for the, for the department. You can't execute until you have an idea of how you want it to function, right? It has to be a system, right? So you wanna have an idea of how do you want it to function? What is the outcome, right? And that is to get the work done, right? Like what is the outcome? So how do we want this office to function? Who does what, right? How can we, uh, what is, how can we um, 
show accountability, right? Like how how do we measure the success, right, of how this thing is moving, if, if it's working? And it's really, really hard. And as me supervising staff, you know, people, it's a balance. You want to be able to just be friendly, right? And how are you? How was your weekend? You Yeah, so it's okay to be available, right? It's okay to kind of create that relationship where you are invested, like, how's everything going? And for them to be able to, if they're having a crappy day, to give them four minutes of your time or five minutes. Where along you can, with? Absolutely. Along with? With what? With some guidance. With some guidance. Right? You know, but they, everyone wants to be heard. Everyone wants to be validated. Everyone want, wants to be treated equally, right? And if it takes five minutes of my day to connect with one of my staff members who's having a really tough day um, and she feels heard and validated and supported, I've just made a great connection, right? I mean, I've, I've made a great connection that we can build on. And, and that's what I try to do with some of the people that I've supervised. And that's what you tell in therapy. And that's, yeah. what, you t- and that's what you practice. Absolutely. Doing it that way. But I think that it needs to also be implemented by the supervisors or the people that are higher up, right? They set kind of the precedence, right? I mean, they, it, you know, they, they are able to kind of create the culture that they want with expectations and wishes and dreams and hopes and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. right i mean look at google i mean look yes. at how these these companies work because it is it, it's so collaborative everyone is there for the same goal right there's equal amounts of workplace outcome right i mean it's mm-hmm. it's a it's a, a healthy environment there's room to communicate there's space to be heard right and it's it's, it's really, really hard. But however, we're not working at Google. And if I do have a staff member that I'm working with that is resistant to having any insight to how they're contributing or is resistant to share anything and is very, very closed, then I see that that could create a really hostile working environment and she may not necessarily be the right person for this position. The right fit. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. So. The uh, 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 last yeah. question, because I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm running out of time with you. Um, <laughs> and thank you very, very much of, for allowing me to take anytime. this much time with you, Nicola, really. Um, what about that thing of being late? I have a number of supervisors and managers and whatever that contact me and say, what do I do just about this? I can't get them to show up on time. And other people have to step in because they're late. Five minutes, 30 minutes, 20 minutes yeah. late. If they were going to JFK, to the Bahamas, would they miss their flight? No, they wouldn't. No. This is not personal. It's a business, right? It's a, it's a business. And I think that if somebody is does not require their job function by being on time, then maybe they may not necessarily be the person for the job, right? I mean, if someone comes in 20 minutes late, that sends a message, my job is not valuable, I don't respect um, my boss, they can figure it out. It creates resentment with their colleagues, 
right? Because they have to step up. They feel that there's preferential treatment or there's no consequence. And this has happened to me. Someone being absolutely just late every single day. Yes. And, you know, you address it and you say, we need to work on it. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll revisit it in a month's time. And if, it, if there's no improvement, guess what? Then it might not be the right person for the job. Remember, we need to have this, it's a system, right? We're all doing something within this system that we work in. We all play a part in order to kind of have this machine working. And if someone is coming in late or if someone is not doing their share, it kind of affects how the whole system works. So you, at, there's a point where you can be authoritarian yeah, and absolutely. say, no, if you don't, we're going to take money. Yeah. If they say, and then it keeps happening, then but we can this say might that, not we be can right say, for absolutely. you. Well, we can, and we always talk about, from our perspective, right, our feelings, right? You know, hey, I, ex- I expect you to be on time. I need, I need you to be part of this team. I need you to show that this is something that you are invested in. Um, I'm going to need to see that you're on time every day and I need you to check in with me when you come in um, and I'll reevaluate to see where we are in a month's time, right? So it doesn't, it, it sets kind of a clear message and then if after a month that there's no improvement, if you're an investor, you could say, okay, so you had three good weeks and then this, mm-hmm. you know, but it is, it's very important. Or do you know what I did with my staff member? Because she couldn't get here at nine o'clock. I changed her hours to 10 to six. Work like a charm. Oh. Because it wasn't the fact she could not get here at nine o'clock because she was taking a medication the night before that was making her drowsy. So I'm just thinking, what can I do, Uh, right? Because maybe this person has issues in the morning. And I said, do you want to start work at 10 to six? And she said, I would love to. Never late again. Yes. So just me me being a little bit like, okay. You know, yeah. changing the hours. Yeah, may I help you? How can how may I help yeah, you? Yeah, like what better we, Yeah, this? like you know, like what it, what do you think would what do you think would be a, a, a better solution? Because we here? have to get this work done. Because sure. We're, we, yeah. And and then this person coming in at ten to six now. There's less people resentful. Yes. She's calmer. I'm calmer. Fabulous. Get, get, hope, give give uh, my community. Uh, your contact information, sure. whatever contact information you want to give sure. them, uh, sure. and the spelling of your name, and where they, if they need sure. uh, therapy in any way, shape, or form, and where you're located. Absolutely. So my office is located in Chelsea. So and um, Chelsea, you, New York. Chelsea, so New York, not Chelsea, over. London. <laughs> so um, it's it's in Chelsea. It's on Twenty Fifth Street, and um, I can be reached at. Nicola UK, that's N I C O L A UK at yahoo.com. Thank you for having me. Thank you so very much, Nicole. Thank you so very much. Hey there, moving your energy differently, community. If you feel you got some practical insights and achievement strategies from listening to this podcast, I would be over the top grateful if you would. Go to my Twitter handle, at Kerry Ruff, and leave a comment. I thank you so very much. You have made my day, uh, my year. (laughs) Thank you very much.